This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. So John's Gospel, chapter 14. John's Gospel 14. The message this morning was entitled, The Comforter Has Come, Part 1. This evening I want to continue with the same theme. And I won't take the time to recap on all that we said this morning, just a little bit of it. But we said that chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 of John uh, was held during that last final Passover meal that Jesus had with his disciples in that upper room just prior to him becoming literally the Passover lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And at these five chapters is one long, continuous conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. It was a very precious time, very intimate moment. Him knowing full well that was just literally just hours away that he's going to have to face, and knowing what they were going to have to face, then he began to teach them. And among the several things that he taught them, of course, just prior to his arrest, his trial, and his execution, uh, he began to teach them about the, the importance of the Holy Spirit in their lives going forward from that moment on. Because he knew they would be devastated with his arrest and execution. It was going to happen so quickly. Literally within hours it would be all over. With less than 24 hours he would be lying in a cold grave. And so he, he knew that the Holy Spirit would be the one to help them, and that they could not go on in their Christian experience without the help of the Holy Spirit. For three years, all they had known was Jesus. He was their teacher. He was their confidant. He was their helper. He was their guide. And that's all they had known. They had no, hadn't spoke to anyone else in three years. They took no guidance from anybody, only Jesus, but he's going to be gone in a matter of hours, so what are they going to do? And so in John 14, verse 18, he says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And as we said, the word comfortless here is, in the Greek is where we get the word orphan from. It's orphanos is where we get the word orphan from. So the New King James gets it right when it says, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And he really told them in chapter 13, 33, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer, and you shall seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. And then in chapter 14, he tells them that he's going to go and prepare a place for them, a room for them in his father's house, and that he would come back and he would take them to be with himself, that where he is, there may be also. But all of that was future. All of that was sometime. All of that was out there, but it wasn't there and then. And so what about right now in their minds? What about the immediate short term? How is he going to come to them? Because he says, I'm coming back. How is he going to come to them whenever they would need him the most at the most important moment of their lives over these next three days? How is he going to do that? So in John 14, he tells them the answer. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter or helper that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, 
whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you comfortless as orphans. I will come to you. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. And the word another there that he uses is alos, A-L-L-O-S, that literally means another of the very same kind. One just like me. One exactly like me. Jesus is saying the Father will send one just like me in every way except he'll not just be with you, but he shall be in you. And so the Holy Spirit would be like the mirror image of Jesus without any physical restraints or any physical limitations that Jesus had on earth. So he will be with us 24-7. He will never be absent. He will always be available. That's what that's saying. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter or helper. Depending on what translation you've got in your lap tonight, it may say comforter, it may say helper, it even may say advocate. Only John uses this term, and he does it so four times. Chapter 14, verse 16, chapter 15, 26, chapter 16 and 7, and once in 1 John 2, 1, where he says, we have an advocate with the Father. And the word advocate is the same as comforter or helper. And so comforter is translated from the word parakletos, P-A-R-A-K-L-E-T-O-S, parakletos. That was in the original language. And parakletos is a compound of two words, para, P-A-R-A, and kaleo, K-A-L-E-O. And para simply means <coughs> alongside, Someone or something that is alongside, that is placed alongside. Now, we're familiar with this word para whenever we think of paramedic. We know what a paramedic is. We're familiar with the word when you think of parallel. Uh, you think of the parallel bars in the Olympic Games or two railway tracks as parallel. They lay one aside one another. Or the word parable. It's parabole. Uh, and parabole means a placing besides, where with a view to contrast or compare, where one or two or more things are placed alongside each other for us to compare or contrast. You think of the lost sheep, you think of the lost uh, coin, and you think of the lost son. Uh, and how we can contrast that and compare that. You think of the lost son and you think of the elder brother and how we can compare and contrast those two things. And so para means alongside. For three years, Jesus had been alongside his disciples. Every single day, without fail, he was there. They ate with him, they slept with him, they talked with him, they walked with him. He was just always there for over three years, right beside them. But now he's going away, and he will no longer physically be there alongside them. Uh, and he tells them that the Holy Spirit will come. The Father will send the Holy Spirit, and he will be alongside you. In fact, more than that, he will be in you. And so we saw this morning that the Holy Spirit was just like having Jesus 
only within them. Not physically he would be there, but by his spirit, he would be with them continually. And you and I are in that position today. Jesus is not physically with us, and he won't be physically with us until he returns again in his glory. But right now, we have the Holy Spirit, the one who's been called alongside us. In fact, even more, he's he's called to dwell within us. (coughs) Excuse me. In fact, in John 16 and 7, Jesus told his disciples that it is to their advantage that I go away, he said. Because if I do not go away, then the Holy Spirit will not come. So he says, it will be to your advantage. But if I depart, I will send him to you. In his physical body, I suppose it's obvious, Jesus could not be everywhere at the same time. And so at some point when these disciples would go out uh, to evangelize around the world, Jesus would not be able to be with each one of those at all times every day. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. So Jesus said, this is to your advantage. Uh, you know, imagine if, imagine if Jesus hadn't went back. Imagine if Jesus had stayed and set up his headquarters in Jerusalem so that anybody for any reason that wanted to see him would have to make an appointment, would have to have a special trip to the Holy Land. I mean, you just see how ridiculous and how impossible that would be. But right now, fellow believer, you have the same Holy Spirit in you as those disciples had 2,000 years ago. God the Holy Spirit resides within every born-again believer. I said this morning, I said again, from the moment you're born again, the Holy Spirit has come in to take up residence in your life. Uh, There's different experiences of the Holy Spirit. There's different levels that we can have and experience of the Holy Spirit. But the same Holy Spirit, from the moment you're born, he's come to live inside you. In fact, you would not be a believer without the Holy Spirit, Paul says. And so, parakletos, parakaleo. Kaleo simply means called. Called, that's what it means, called, kaleo. And so we are called for many things. We're, We're called to repent. We're called for salvation. We're, we're called to minister. We're called to pray. We're called to witness. We're called to reach out with the word of truth and the word of faith. We're called for all of those things. It just means call. But with reference to the Holy Spirit, he is the one called alongside to help. Called to be our advocate, our defender, our helper, our guide, our teacher. And the Father has called the Holy Spirit specifically to be to us what Christ would be to us if he was with us presently in the flesh. Did you get that? The Holy Spirit specifically is called to be to us what Christ would be to us if he was here in the flesh. And his primary role is to glorify Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what he wants to do through us. He resides within us so that he may glorify Jesus through us. So we are ambassadors for Christ, Paul said, that we go out and shine the light for Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does within us. He causes us to show forth Christ wherever we may be and whoever we may meet to make us witnesses and testifiers of the Lord Jesus Christ, to empower us like Christ 
to enable us to show forth Christ in our daily lives. It is the Holy Spirit who imparts to us his spirit and his gifts to enable us to be more like Jesus. So here we are, us, present-day disciples of Jesus, 2,000 years later, and we walk by faith and not by sight. And yet Christ is very real to us today. How is Christ real to us today? Through the ministry of the Holy Spirit within us. That's how he's real to us today. Because the Holy Spirit reveals himself through us to a lost world and lifts up Christ. And so all of this is important for us to remember, to know and to remember, and to be conscious of that we have the blessed Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit of 2,000 years ago that was in those disciples is in us today. So why is Christ real to us today? For two reasons, because we have the Holy Spirit and because we have this Word of God, the complete finished Word of God, the full canon of Scripture. We have got it. Nothing can be taken away. Nothing can be added to it. It's complete. It's finished. And it's in our hands today. Thank God for this Word. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus said to his disciples that night. He says, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter or helper, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Notice what he calls them, even the spirit of truth. Three times Jesus in that room that night called him the spirit of truth. In John 15, 26, in John 14, 17, in John 16, 12 to 15, he called him the spirit of truth. Now, didn't Jesus say in John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So, so that they would know that when he who was the truth, when he would leave, the one who would come would be the spirit of truth. Amen. They would always, always have the truth with them. We need the truth, folks, today like we have never needed the truth before because we live in a world that's completely and utterly confused and lost and undone. The Holy Spirit is completely truthful, reliable, trustworthy, wholly dependable. He will never deceive us. He will never dupe us. He will never trick us. He would never ever lead us into error because he's the spirit of truth. He can only speak truth. Now we would never ever think of Jesus, son of God, would be anything other than truth. Sure we wouldn't. And we know the Father is truthful, don't we? Yeah. So why wouldn't the world would ever be afraid of trusting the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit? Because sometimes people get a little bit worried about trusting the Holy Spirit because, oh, we can't see him, and, you know, and, you know, it's kind of, to think of this kind of nebulous, kind of airy-fairy, kind of uh, spooky thing. Uh, but that's not. He's a person, the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person in the divine Godhead, <laughs> equal with the Father, equal with the Son, co-equal with them all, he is a spirit of truth. And so we can trust Jesus, we can trust the Father, and we certainly can trust the Holy Spirit. And in John 14, 26, and John 15, 26, Jesus said that the Father would send the Holy Spirit, and then he says, I will send the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and from the Son. So that lets you know the importance and the equal status that the Holy Spirit's got with the Father and with the Son, that both of them would send him to us. 
And Jesus knew exactly how much his disciples would need the power and the guidance and the truth of the Holy Spirit if they were going to live out that Christian experience and do what they did 2,000 years ago. And we're no different today. I said this morning, if they need the Holy Spirit in their generation, how much more do we need him in our generation? Is things not worse today? Do we not need the truth more today? I think that we do. Now, the Holy Spirit is the divine author of the Bible, isn't he? We know there was human authors, but he was the one who inspired them. Inspired, breathed into that means. He inspired them. Those human authors, he inspired it. He gave them the desire and the will to record what they recorded for us. Every word was inspired by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1.23 says, These men of old were moved by the Holy Spirit. They, they didn't just think things up at the top of their head. At some point, the Holy Spirit moved them, energized them, encouraged them, whatever way you want to put it, to write down the things that we have here in our Word, the Word of God today. And you see this inspiration of the Holy Spirit when you read the Gospels. In John 14, 25 and 26, Jesus said, But the Comforter, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And so when you read through the Gospels and you read what Jesus said, the Holy Spirit brought that to their remembrance. Now, not everything he said, not everything he did is written in the Gospels, but what we need to hear, what we need to know is written there because that was the work of the Holy Spirit through individuals to record what we needed to hear, what we needed to know. You see it in the book of Acts. In John 15, 26, 27, Jesus said, When the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you also bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. So when you're, isn't the book of Acts, don't you see those same apostles going forth and witnessing and testifying of Christ? When you read the, the very beginning of the book of Acts and you see the great first sermon that Peter ever preached, it's just full of Christ, isn't it? And suddenly the Holy Spirit's empowering him and encouraging him and inspiring him and he's preaching forth and it's about Christ, the one who was crucified. When you read through the whole book of Acts, you see that. And then the epistles, in John 16, 13, and 14, Jesus said, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. I have many things to say to you, <coughs> excuse me, but you cannot bear them now. <coughs> You know, it, it took a while before the, before the Apostle Paul came to Christ, didn't it, on the road to Damascus. And what happened after that? He went into the Arabian desert for three years and spent that time alone with Christ. And he came out of that experience full of the, full of the, the understanding all those Old Testament scriptures, because this man was a Jew, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisee, he knew scriptures inside out, but suddenly they came alive to him, and suddenly it made sense to him, and suddenly he could see Christ in all of those, and he came out of that situation, and he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and our understanding of salvation, our understanding of Christ's ministry, our understanding of the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, through his writings. 
He was energized by the Holy Spirit to do this. And so we see it in the epistles. But we see it also in the book of Revelation. In John 16, 13 and 14, Jesus said, He will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. For he'll take of that which is mine and declare it to you. I make no apologies for saying this again and again and again. People mistakenly call it the book of revelations. It is not the book of revelations. Even though there's revelations in it, it's the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the word is apocalypse. It's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. John in that vision saw Jesus in a way he had never seen Jesus before. Remember John was very close to Jesus for three years. He was the one who leaned into him all the time. Nobody was as close to Jesus as John. But when he, when he, when he got the vision uh, that we see in the book of Revelation, he saw Christ in a way that nobody had ever seen Jesus. He saw the King of kings, Lord of lords. He saw him in all his effulgent glory. He saw him standing in the midst of the seven churches. His eyes was flaming, like feet was like brass. I mean, he saw a vision of Christ that nobody had ever seen. He says, he will tell you things to come. The book of Revelation is a lot about things to come, I believe. And he said, he will glorify me. The book of Revelation glorifies Christ. It shows him in all of his glory and all of his power. It shows him in full control of everything. And so the Holy Spirit inspired the Gospels and the book of Acts and the Epistles and the book of Revelation. Whenever men reject the Bible as God's Word, they're rejecting the Spirit of Truth. They're rejecting the Holy Spirit. They may not know that, but that's what they're doing because the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired this Word. So when they reject this as the Word of God, they're rejecting the Spirit of Truth. They're rejecting the Holy Spirit. But he said, the Spirit of Truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. But we know him. And that's why this Bible comes alive to us. And that's why this Bible becomes the book of life to us. This is why we live our lives according to it, because we see it, because the Holy Spirit opened our eyes to it, because we were as blind as everybody else for many, many years. Most of us were just as blind as the man on the street. But when the Holy Spirit came in, suddenly we could see his book, we could see his writings, we could see because he's the Spirit of truth. And he opened that up to us bit by bit by bit. And we're still learning, and he's still opening up every day, isn't he? I've been preaching for out of many years. I'm still learning all the time. The Holy Spirit's still opening my eyes. Do you ever read a scripture? You've read it a thousand times, and one day you read it, and suddenly it comes alive to you. At that moment, it means something to you. That's the Holy Spirit. He does that. Much of this world's philosophies and religions and values are not based on what the Spirit of Truth has said. They're not based on the Word of God, but they're based on what the Father of Lies has said. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul warns them not to, be, not to be tricked, not to be duped by the philosophies of this world that wants to lead people astray. There's lots of philosophies that are leading people astray today, isn't there? And people believe it. They honestly believe it. And it's foolishness, but they believe it. But any nation, any nation that gets away from the principles of God's word, they get away from the inspired word of God, then that nation will sink into sin and depravity. It's guaranteed it will happen. 
doesn't matter how technological and how scientifically advanced it has become, it will be morally bankrupt and heartless towards the most vulnerable in society. And we see that today even in our own little nation. We see it. We see it being played out. We see the we just had the, the worst abortion laws foisted upon us without debate. The worst laws in the whole of the Western Hemisphere, right here in our little land. We see same-sex marriage foisted upon us without a single vote being cast. And sadly, most of our politicians in Westminster and Stormont either ignore or blatantly reject God's word on this. Not interested, thank you very much. Don't care, because we're progressive. We're 21st century. That's the mantra today. It makes me, honestly, it makes me fearful of what may befall our nation if this continues. And we see the continuous assault upon the family and parental rights. Thank God the SNP in Scotland, who were pushing with all their might that name person act, uh, and they pushed it and pushed it, even though it was against all the polls they took, all the polls they took thinking it would be for it was against it. But they ignored all of that because they wanted it. They thought, we know better in the whole country, so we're going to do this. And thank God Christian organizations fought that and fought that and fought that, and at last it has been stopped. It's been finished. It's over. And that was where they were going to get anybody. It could be a school teacher. It could be anybody. Anybody but the parents would be a named guardian of that child. And that child could go to, not their parents, but could go to that person and tell them whatever they wanted to tell them. I mean, that's just, that's just taking the rights of parents away. <clears throat> now young people can be prescribed contraception, even abortion without parental knowledge or consent. Marital rights are being eroded, no-fault divorce is being advocated, and all this is the inevitable result of a nation that has turned its back on God's word and God's way and has rejected the spirit of truth. And it's a scary, scary thought. Listen, our nation has fallen a long, long way. Really, really has. In a very short space of time. I didn't think 20 years ago we would be where we are today, but it's happening so fast. It just happens sometimes overnight, underneath our very nose. Suddenly it's happening. Why? Because we have rejected God's word. <coughs> That's the dark age, as they say. That, there's no relevance in the 21st century. Well, our nation's not the better for it, I can tell you that. Now let me just continue as we sort of wind up a little bit here. Back to the Holy Spirit. Today, the primary way the Holy Spirit leads us is by the written Word of God. We know that. That's the primary way the Holy Spirit leads believers. <laughs> however, however, although He will never act contrary to the Word of God, yet He also leads us by other ways. Sometimes it's by an impulse or an idea or a leading, or a word of knowledge, or a word of wisdom, or a prophetic word, or a check in your spirit. There's all kinds of ways that the Holy Spirit can, can lead us. But it'll never be contrary to the Word of God. So if we feel a leading in something, and we know it's contrary to this Word, then we ignore that. We say, that's not the Holy Spirit. Whatever that is, that's maybe me, or that's the evil one, but it's not the Holy Spirit, because He would never do it against the Word of God. And so that's why... All of those other ways that he leads are subjective. And that's why we have to test them. We have to test them. 
We have to have confirmation. We have to have the plumb line of God's word so that we're not led astray. Now, there are many instances in the New Testament, especially we see God's people being directed and led by the Holy Spirit. And sometimes it involves individuals. Sometimes it involves geographical locations. Uh, for instance, in Acts 13, <coughs> excuse me, in Acts chapter 13, just let me get a little sip of water here. Verse 1. <clears throat> now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lysias of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up by Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said... Very clearly, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Now how did the Holy Spirit say? Doesn't tell us exactly. But we, I think we could assume because there was prophets there and teachers there, there's men of God there that at some point and they're fasting and they're praying and they're seeking the Lord because they were obviously seeking the Lord here for direction. And at some point through some one of those people that there was a word came forth that these two were to be chosen and they sent them out and they believed it. They believed it was right. There was a feeling this was right and they prayed and they sent them forth. And so the Holy Spirit can lead that way. But then also in, in chapter 10, <clears throat> chapter 10, now, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion, uh, of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people, and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, and when he observed him, he was afraid, and he said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. And he will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. And the next day, as they went on their journey and drew near to the city, Peter went up to the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And when he became hungry, he wanted to eat. But while, they were made, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and letting down and let down to earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. It's not kosher, in other words. And the voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision he had seen meant, behold, the man who had sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for, at Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, note this, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. A 
Arise therefore, go down and go with them, nothing, not doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And you know the rest of the story, how Peter went down, and as he began to preach to them, suddenly, he, hadn't even, he just had started, and suddenly the Holy Ghost fell, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to prophesy and all the rest of it. But notice here in verse 19, while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, how did the Spirit say to him? Was it an audible voice? Who knows? We don't know. Or was it an impression in his heart? Was it an impression in his heart? Did he feel something deep inside that he hadn't felt before? However the Holy Spirit spoke to him, it was very clear. And he understood this is what he had to do, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So somehow or other, the Holy Spirit began to speak to Peter on that roof that day. Whatever way that was, we don't know. But the Holy Spirit's got a way to speak to us. Sometimes it's very clear. Sometimes we're not sure we need a confirmation. Sometimes we say things and do things not thinking it was the Holy Spirit, but actually it was. And later on we find out that must have been the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example. My late brother-in-law, his sister told me this a few years back. Uh, he, he was an evangelist. He became a pastor, but he was an evangelist. And he was taking a, a mission in this church in England. And uh, she says, now, I've heard all these sermons. I've heard them many, many times. I've traveled all over with them and heard them umpteen times. She says, I could have preached them. And that's fair enough. That's okay. Attender at ministry, that's what you do. You tend to preach the same sermon. So she says this night, for whatever reason, he was preaching on Naaman the leper, and the little maid, the little Hebrew maid who was captive, said, if my Lord would go to the prophet in Israel, he'd be cleansed of his leprosy. Now she says, I heard him preaching that a thousand times, but this night, for whatever reason, he stopped and he said, wonder what we'll call the little servant, because there's no name there. What should we call her tonight? I tell you what, we'll call her Deborah. Devorah. And that's the Hebrew for Deborah. We would say Deborah. Devorah. So she says he devoured and he devoured and devoured and he went on and on and on. He says he must have mentioned the name of 20 times. I've never ever heard him even saying that ever before. So at the end of the service, he was shaking hands at the door, you know, and thanking people for coming. And a lady came to him. She says, sir, I have never ever been to a service guest in all of my life. She says, I'm a Jewess. And my name is Devorah. <laughs> and she says, I'm going to come back tomorrow night. And she came back the next night, and the next night, and the next night, and she gets saved. That little Jewess gets saved. Now, that's the Holy Spirit. He hadn't planned that. Sister said he never did that in his life. But that thought just came into his mind while he was preaching by the Holy Spirit, just leading and directing. See at Spurgeon one time, big church, five or 6,000 people. And he was not given to believing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, perhaps the way you would, but he's preaching. And he said, while he's preaching, he suddenly heard himself saying, Ah, young Jack, you're here tonight, and you're going to be going away on a ship, and you're running away from home, and you're running away from God. You're like Jonah, but you can't run from God. And little did he know there was a young Jack in the service that night who was about after that service was going to the docks to get in the ship to run away. Amen. And young Jack got saved that night. Amen. So you see, the Holy Spirit can lead us in ways that we're not even sometimes even conscious of. 
but he can inject thoughts or an impulse or an idea. <clears throat> I was lying on the top of my bed one Saturday night, I had my Bible in my chest, I just read some verses, I was fully clothed, I wasn't sleeping around, I was just eyes, Bible in my chest, just my eyes closed, and suddenly, <clears throat> uh, suddenly I had this impression, ring pastor so-and-so. Well, pastor so-and-so and I hadn't spoken for months, even though he was a friend, but we, we hadn't been in contact with no reason to be. And I, I was almost about to dismiss it, but it came again, ring pastor so-and-so. So I got up from my bed, and that was before the mobile phone era, uh, and I, I got the phone, and I rang pastor so-and-so, and as soon as he heard my voice, he, he, he started to cry. He just burst into tears. And so when he had gathered himself, he says, today, earlier today, he says, I have a great need, and I'm in a, a difficult position. And he said, earlier today, I said, Lord, get David Gowdy to ring me. And if he does that, I'll know that you're speaking to me about this. Now, some say putting out a fleece. Sometimes you can get fleece putting out a fleece, but nevertheless, in his mind, he's putting out a fleece to see what happened. And that just came to me. I hadn't been thinking about him, wasn't, not at all. But when I rang him, that was what he needed at that time. But see, that's the Holy Spirit can do that, can do that in your life. And sometimes you're very aware, sometimes you're not even aware, but the Holy Spirit has got ways of doing that. In Acts chapter 16, it says in verse 6 of Acts 16, Now when they, the they here is Paul, Silas, and Timothy, those three, now, when they had gone through Phrygia in the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Imagine that. The very thing they were called to do, the very thing they were there to do, the very thing they went to that region to do, the Holy Spirit says, no, do not preach here in Asia. And after they had come to Mysiae, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Now, we don't know how the Spirit did that. Again, was that an audible voice, or was that a prophetic word, or was that just a check in their spirit? Did you just say, do you know what? I, I, we can't do this. For some reason or other, we, we just can't do this. I, I remember years ago, and this rarely ever happens to me, thank God. I have to admit it. I remember years ago, uh, I, I came in, I was standing in the back, had my sermon already, Clifford was leading the worship, and halfway through, and I knew there was about 15, 20 minutes to go, halfway through, the sermon I was to preach, if you'd have put a gun to my head, I couldn't have preached it. It, it just literally just left me. Couldn't, I couldn't have preached it if you'd have paid me. And I thought, Lord, what is this? I went downstairs into the men's toilets, into one of the stalls, and I sat down, as you do. <laughs> and I sat there, and I said, and I said, Lord, please, you need to help me. 15, 20 minutes, I'm going to have to get up there and what I was going to preach is gone. I couldn't preach it. What am I going to do? And suddenly, scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture after, it just came to me and I wrote them down, wrote them down, wrote them down. And just a whole message just formed me. Ah, I tell you, that was... And I said, Lord, I hope you don't do that to me very often because <laughs> the pressure was on at that moment. When that sermon left, I thought, what am I going to do? And I came back again and nobody knew and I preached that fresh message. And it was only afterwards that somebody said to me, boy, that was right for me today. Amen. And that's how much the Holy Spirit wanted to speak to that person that day. 
You say, well, I wish the Lord would do that with you more often, David. <laughs> I'm, not so sure, I'm not so sure I wish that. That's all right for you saying that. You're not the one under pressure, so you're not. <clears throat> and so it says here, and after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. You know, it was about a two, three-day sea journey. And when they got to Troas, and when they got there, they didn't meet a man, they met a woman. <laughs> they met a woman who God opened up her heart, Lydia. And her and her whole household got saved. And then he had that encounter with that slave girl that had divination, cast that devil out of her, got arrested, got thrown into jail, and then there was an earthquake in the jail, and the jailer came and wanted to get saved, and that was wonderful. That, that was the first church planted in all of Europe. And that's the reason why we're here tonight. Because the Holy Spirit forbid them at that point to preach in Asia and Bithynia, but to go to Troas. And they listened and they obeyed, and the rest is history. And so the Holy Spirit is our guide. He's the one who helps us, the one who directs our lives, sometimes consciously, sometimes unconsciously. But if we're, if we're living in God's Word and we love the Lord and we're open to His leading, then He will lead us. Somehow, some way, He will find a way to speak to us, to get through to us. Sometimes it takes a while for Him to get through. Or am I the only one? Sometimes our, our head is hard, isn't it? Uh, and, and we struggle, we wrestle, we fight. The old flesh doesn't like that. But one last thing. In John 14, 17, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he says, For he dwells with you, but shall be in you. Now think of this for a moment. Up until that point, the only one that the Holy Spirit lived in was the Lord Jesus. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily lived in him. He was the only one on earth. In the Old Testament, there's many times the Spirit of God came upon prophets and came upon kings and came upon individuals, but didn't live within them. Jesus was the only one. But now everything's about to change because from that night forward, he said, from now on, when the Holy Spirit comes, he is going to live in every one of you individually. That had never happened in the whole history of the world before then. But it's happened since every single day. Every person that gets saved all over the world, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up his residence in their hearts because their bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. What a privilege it is for us tonight to have permanently dwelling within us God the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Well, so do you not know that? Hmm. Do we know that? Do we believe that? Is that our testimony? 
that every one of us who's born again tonight has got the Holy Spirit living in us. There's so much more we didn't say that we probably should have said, and let me come back to this. But today, I just wanted to remind all of us who are born again of the Spirit who the Holy Spirit is and what He's like and how He lives in us and how He can lead and guide in different ways and how He can comfort and strengthen and empower and give strength to that we may live our Christian lives to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Come, we pray. Holy Spirit, you are God the Holy Spirit. You're the one that the Father and the Son sent to live inside us. And may you in your ministry within us glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. May our lives continually reflect Jesus because of who is inside us. You promised that you would glorify him through us. So would you do that? Would you cause Christ to shine through us to where it's in darkness? And would you empower us and give us the strength and the grace to live this Christian life as true believers and as witnesses for Jesus, that our very lifestyle may be a witness for Christ? Not just the words that we say, but our whole life may be that witness for Jesus. Holy Spirit, thank you for taking up residence in every life here tonight that's a believer. Thank you that you will do your gracious work in us and through us. And when you're pleased to use us for the glory of God, we pray that we will be ready and willing and able when that moment arrives, that we may be obedient to you and be led by you, and that we may go on in this Christian life knowing you more fully than we've ever known you before. So we give you the glory and we give you thanks tonight. We thank you for revealing Christ in us, the hope of glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.